Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, I want to teach about a very important topic to my heart, and uh, it's called the fear of the Lord. And today, I want to discuss the five things that happen when you learn to fear God. The five things that start working in your life when you understand how to operate, how to live, how to function in the fear of the Lord. You know, when the souls are growing, we all have stages of growth. We all have levels of function in the stages of growth. And when the soul is young, it appeals to only the natural human appetites. If they have enough food, if they sleep well, for them that's sufficient. But as you grow, you understand that there's more to humanity. And then, then they get into the dimension of pleasure. They understand pleasure in a unique way. And some use that pleasure adversely in an ungodly pattern. Or some enjoy that pleasure in an ungodly way and some use that pleasure in a godly way or in a godly pattern. It depends on where we are in our lives as believers. And sometimes we don't even look beyond, but there's realms beyond that because sometimes people think that pleasure is the end of it or that we must apply ourselves only to what gives us pleasure. Even if it's godly pleasure, there's a realm higher than pleasure and that's the perfection of love in a man where we don't do things anymore simply because they're pleasurable to us in God, but that we have the full revelation and we are perfected in the love of God. And so as we continue in that, then we are then understanding fully what it means to fear God. What is it to fear God? We're talking about the fear of God. We're not talking about you being scared of God because he is a relational God who wants to deal with you as a child to him. He's our father. But we're talking about reverence. We're talking about submitting yourself to the discipline of his wisdom in love. We're talking about the responsibility, your carrying responsibility, even in the eternal purpose. To be responsible in the eternal things. To have a reverence for God. To have an honor, a certain honor, an awe for the God that you serve. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter, from the 12th verse, he says, and furthermore, by these, my son, be admonished of making many books. He says, there is no end and much study is a weariness of the flesh. And so he takes us to the end of these things that that whole book is trying to communicate through the wisdom of God in the 13th verse. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The total sum of everything we teach, in fact, in the earlier verses, it speaks of the words that are coming from one shepherd. Of everything that we show you in God, of everything that will be revealed to you in God, the end and the concluding statement of these things is that you will fear God and keep his commandments. He says, for this is the whole duty of man. If you read the 13th verse again in the Amplified Version, it speaks of two things here. He says, and all this has been heard, and the end of the matter is, one, fear God. He says, revere and worship him, knowing that he is, and keep his commandments. And there are two things here. He speaks about man. For this is the whole of man. That's one, the whole of man. That is the full original purpose of his creation. Now we're defining the fullness of man. The original purpose of his creation 
the object of God's providence, the root of character, the foundation of all his happiness, the adjustment to all inharmonious circumstances and conditions under the sun, and secondly, and the whole duty of every man. So he talks about the things that make a man whole and the things that ascribe to the duty of man. And he says, all of these things are in keeping the commandment of God and walking in the fear of God. This is what makes you whole as an individual. And this is the thing that defines your duty as a man. The thing that separates you from everything else distinctively created by God. Hallelujah, praise God. The Lord has revealed to me about five things that happen to a man when a man learns to walk and function in the fear of God. Because again, why do I emphasize this? The Bible says the Spirit speaks expressly. In the last days, men shall give heed to doctrines of devils, seducing spirits shall teach. And today men have departed from the face. And even people who are born again, who have served God for years, they don't leave and walk in the fear of God. This is a rare topic because these days it's so much about the God whose hand is always revealed to the giving and supply of all their needs than the revelation of his heart even in the matter because to God it's important that you will know him. This is eternal life. The Bible says that you might know the one true God and his only son, Jesus Christ. And so even in 2021, it is important for us to emphasize and teach these things for those of us who are looking to deeper and higher consecrations in him because there's something in us that is inviting us by God to serve him, to live for him, to see bigger in him. I'm talking to people who feel that you live for something bigger than this. You live for something bigger than where you are now. If you feel that you're invited to live for and serve God deeper than where you are, you're the kind of person I came to talk to tonight. So, these are the five. Number one, one of the most defining things concerning the fear of God is that it gives one the power to resist and depart from evil. I want you to note that because there's something I need to emphasize in there very importantly. It gives us the power to resist and depart from evil or sin. Now, why do I say that? This could actually be said in a more legalistic perspective, which is because you fear God, eh, you should live a life without sin. You should live a life without evil. And that's okay. That is true to a certain extent. But deeply, which comes first? Am I approved as one which fears God because I live a sinless life? Or... Am I the one which applies myself to the fear of God? And as a consequence of that fear, I'm given the power to resist sin. You see that? The New Testament dispensation in which we live, you and I, is not a legalistic dispensation. It is not a dispensation that approves us based on performance. It's a dispensation that approves us based on his performance. Christ shedding his blood at the cross for you becoming the perfect sacrifice, the propitiation of our sins. He says, not only for us, but for the whole world. And so before you say, oh, you know, I have the fear of the Lord, and because I have the fear of the Lord, this is what I do to prove that I have the fear of the Lord. No, rather, whatever is done in you is done in you because of the power that is given you by the Spirit of God, the Spirit of grace, both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. So when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, when a man applies themselves to the reverence of God, to the fear, to the honor of God, he says it gives you the power to walk out of sin. Some of the things you're suffering with, if you're dealing with addictions or masturbation or pornography, whatever it is, drugs, alcohol, if you apply yourself and invest time in understanding what it means to yield yourself to the instruction of God's wisdom to walk in the fear of God, it's automatic that that will come with a power that will deliver you from sin, that will deliver you from every addiction, that will deliver you from every evil way or act in your life. So God says, apply yourself more 
to yielding to me, to submitting yourself to my will and ways. Take God serious. Take the word of God sacred and serious. That's the fear of the Lord. Whatever he says to do, whatever he implies, release yourself into it and submit yourself to it, knowing that you cannot do it in your own strength, but that you can do it through the strength that he gives you. And that strength comes through the mystery of faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you believe right, you live right. When you believe right, you live right. So if you feel that you're suffering with something, sin, something, a pattern, a habit that has lived in your life for long, sometimes God is saying, no, you know, it's not in its own self the issue. The issue is learn to relate with me a certain way you will see that these things will start to disappear and leave out of your life, even sometimes without you noticing at the first. But over time, you look back and say, when was the last time I put my lips on a cigarette, on a bottle of beer or whatever? And you'll see that it is the grace of God inviting you into those spaces because, you know, cigarettes are killing people every day, you see? And so the part to resist and depart from evil is given by the fear of the Lord. In Exodus 20, 20, the Bible tells us when the children of Israel approached the mountain, Sinai, the Bible says that there was a lot of thunderings and lightnings and blastings and noises. And so the children of Israel got so threatened. And in Exodus 20, the 20th verse, the Bible says, Moses said unto them, he says, fear not, for God is come to prove you and that his fear, he says, may be before your faces and that you will sin not. You see, fear not. God is come to prove you and that his fear may be before your faces and that you'll sin not. You see, it's the fear of the Lord that helps us or grants us the power to walk a sinless life. All right. In Proverbs 16, the sixth verse, he says, by mercy and truth, he says, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, he says, men depart from evil. By the fear of of the Lord, men depart from evil. It's that power. It's that power. Now, the second thing that happens when a man connects to the fear of the Lord is the interpretation of destiny. We all have a pattern. We all have a way that we should follow in God. God has put a way and a course that we must choose and follow within him. It's not automatic that when you're born that you easily realize where you're called and your course. No. It's the yielding to the will and purpose of God that helps us define our destiny. There are many people say, oh, you know, I don't know what God has called me to do. I don't know what is my next step in ministry. What is my next step in my Christian life or in my walk of salvation? The Bible says in Psalms 25, the 12th verse, it says, what man is he that feareth the Lord? The Bible says, him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. Just show me a man which fears me. And I shall teach that man in the way that he shall choose. I'll not just tell him, choose this. Because he can only choose what I choose for him if he fears me. You see? So as of whether you look at it from the light of what God chooses for the man or what that man will choose for God, it's all because prevenient grace is available for that man. And in whichever light you behold it, the Bible says, God shall teach that man in the way he shall choose. If that man chooses a way because God has led him as yielding to the full purpose of God in which God preordained for that man to walk, or if you should look at it from the onset of when God aligns a man to that course, the Bible says he will teach that man in the way. It's more than just go this way. No, he teaches you in that way. He tells you the things that you must respond to in that way. He shows you the things that you must submit to in that way. He shows you the principles and patterns that you must yield to as an individual in that way. But he says, but it begins in the fear of the Lord. If you understand this, you'll never ask, what is my way? No, you will yield entirely and God will direct you in every course. Or that in every course, he will impress on your heart to choose. There will be a leading and a teaching and an instruction. Imagine if it's a way of ministry. That means in whatever course or decision you make on your way as a minister, you will be taught of God. Imagine it's a business. That means in whichever way or course you choose in that business, you will be taught in that way. 
you'll be inspired even in the choosing of that way. Imagine if you were a career person. He will instruct you in the career in which you will choose or in which he will inspire you to choose. He's available to show us. We're not supposed to have blank spaces in the course God has called us. No, we are supposed to have the understanding of every step, every milestone of our destiny must be interpreted, but it's only interpreted in the power of the fear of the Lord. The third thing, very importantly, is that the glory of divine preservation is availed for a man who fears God. The glory of divine preservation to be preserved by God himself. It's all revealed in the way of God. In Psalms 33, the 18th verse, the Bible says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Now listen to the next line. To deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. To deliver their souls from death and to keep them alive in famine. When you learn to fear God, he says, I will keep you. I'll keep your soul from death. He's talking about the death of the soul. That means your soul will be yielded and alive to the way of the spirit. And if the soul and the spirit agree, the body agrees. Because they're the testimony of two or three witnesses, every word is established. Let me give you an example. Let's just say your body is battling a disease that doctors say does not have a cure. Does your soul agree with the consequence of your body? Or does your soul agree with the consequences of the spirit? That's the question. If your soul agrees with the consequences of the body, you shall surely die. This is what it means to live by the flesh. He says, if you live by the flesh, you shall surely die. But if you, by the spirit, kill the transactions of the body, you shall live. That is your soul agreeing with your spirit. So he says, I will keep your soul from death. I'll preserve your soul from death. You shall not die in your soul. And so if your soul is preserved from death, it means that every attack of your body, on your body, says sickness, your soul will just agree with what the Spirit says. And you'll always overcome anything in your body. It doesn't matter what science calls it. But also he says, he will keep you alive in the days of famine. It could be physical famine. It could be spiritual famine. Regardless of what we're talking about, he says he will keep you alive. In other words, in the spaces where men are dying of thirst and hunger, the Bible says that is the very realm you will be kept alive. For example, in Amos, he speaks of the famine of the world. He says, in the days when it's so scarce and revelation is scarce and vision cannot be seen, God says he will supply, he will supply vision for you. He will supply revelation for you. Why? Because you fear him. Because you fear him. He says that this famine will come. It shall not be for bread or water. That's spiritual. But it shall be for hearing the words of God. So if you're a minister... It means that in the time when men have nothing to teach, you will have something to teach. In the time when men are weighed down and overwhelmed, you shall be so alive, vibrant, and full of the word that every time you're given the opportunity to share, you'll share something new. You'll share something fresh from God because the fear of God is in your spirit. He says he will keep you alive in famine. But let's talk about physical famine. Let's talk about men who are in spaces of famine, any sort of famine, where there's no food or water. He says he will keep you alive. That means he will make sure that you are supplied in every aspect in the mighty name of Jesus. And that leads me to the next thing. When a man learns to connect to the fear of God, the Lord showed me that that man will not live in lack of anything. Some of you what you think you're actually lacking, certain things can explain in the way you relate with God, in the way you deal with the things of God. The Bible says in Psalms 34, the ninth verse, it says, Oh, fear the Lord 
he says, for there is no want in them that fear him. There is no want in they that fear him. Be not deceived. If a man has a sudden fear for God, that man will not want anything. That means he'll supply everything that you need. In the 10th verse, it says, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. They shall not want any good thing. So, why I emphasize this is, maybe you're getting these things wrong. Maybe you think your problem is money. If I can get this amount of money, my life will change. Maybe you think your problem is a spouse. Oh, if I can get a spouse, everything will be okay. Maybe you think your problem is a child. Oh, if I can get a child, everything will be okay. Oh, if I can get, you know, a good sponsor and get school fees, everything shall be fine. Uh-uh. He has said, there is nobody who seeks God the right way and that man lacks any good thing. That means everything beautiful and good defined by God as good is available when you learn to seek God. God is calling seekers. You see, this is the unique thing about this. The seeker, the man which feareth God, is not seeking for those things. He's not before God because he's looking for those things. He's not before God because he's looking for a job. He's not before God because he's looking for marriage. He's not before God because he's looking for a career. She's not before God because she's looking for a car. No, rather, she's before God because she is in love with God. He's before God because he is submitted to the will and purposes of God. He's before God because he has built a relationship with God. And all these things start following. Because it's their responsibility to follow a seeker. The seeker is not supposed to seek after these things because the Bible has told us who to seek after, God. If you're watching me right now and you say, you know, let me tune in and pray. Maybe somehow I'll get a solution to my issue, my business just died last week. You have gotten it all wrong because you've tuned in into this service because you have a problem. Oh, you know, I'm sick. Let me tune in. Perhaps as I'm listening, Apostle will share something that will help me heal in my body. Then you've lost the plot here. Why? Because you are not seeking God for healing. You're seeking God as He is. That's the right way to seek. And when you know who He is, comma, then He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You remember? He says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But what is the pattern of faith? He says, for he that cometh to God must firstly believe that God is, who is God. And when we understand who he is, when we believe who he is, when we connect to who he is, then we get into the space where he rewards them that diligently seek him. The rewards are secondary. But who is God? Get to a point where you can tune in to a someone, not because you need a job, not because you need a husband, not because you need a business, not because your career is stalled, not because your landlord is shaking your house, but you're truly tuning in because you want to relate with God. If you learn that way of life, if you learn that way, you'll be amazed that many things will start catching on you even without your consciousness. And when such things start coming, amazingly to the people, the things start following those people are usually or most of the time dead to the very things that pursue them. Why? Because they are so alive unto God. The Bible says, recording yourselves dead unto sin, but alive unto God. They are alive unto God. You get to a point where it doesn't matter whether I have a car or I don't have a car, but it matters that I'm in a certain place with God. That's when the car comes. <laughs> and when it comes, you'll be amazed that it will still appear to you as nothing. Not that you don't celebrate God's hand for your provision, but that in its own, it's not what defines you. Because you know it did not come because you sought it. It came because you died to it. But in dying to it, you were alive to the master. That's the way things are. I know believers who are only in the presence of God in the service of God, in the ministry of God, in the church of Jesus Christ, only because of what they can receive or because of the challenges, the troubles of their time. And so it means 
if they get a solution, if they get a breakthrough, you're going to look for them to pray. You're going to have to remind them that they have a God to serve. And when they get through situations and go into trouble, again, they come back to the praise of God. Now, God, I love you. Now, God, I seek you. I want to serve you. You're my God. I want to submit to your will and your ways. And when things are changed and God delivers them and gives them a breakthrough for some sort of a thing because of their faith, the next thing again, they disconnect from God because they are not habitual seekers. They're circumstantial seekers. They seek God only when circumstances demand them to. The challenge with that is you'll never live in the fullness of God. Or at least you'll never be awakened to understand just how much God loves you. Enough that what he wants to pour into you is bigger than what you'll ever ask from him. Or what you'll ever dream to have. God is bigger than anything that you have ever been seen or heard on the earth done for mankind. God is bigger than any man's dream in the world. God is bigger than the greatest power or glory that has ever been bestowed on humanity. He has even spoken and says, what I have not seen, what ears have not heard, what has not entered into the hearts of man, he says he has prepared for them that love him. And all of that is a revelation to us who know him by his spirit. Hallelujah, praise God. So, sometimes we're telling people, this is how not to lack. But really, I think we must emphasize that maybe we are lacking because we are so awakened to lack that we are awakened to the God realm. What makes a man believe or think that you can actually serve God and he ashamed you? If you can work for the men of this world, and they pay you a handsome salary. Men who are evil. Men with wicked hearts. If you can work for the sons of men in the realm of the world and they can pay you, how much God? How much God? If you can obey a simple job description of eight, seven things to do. If you can take a chore, a particular work given you and a man pays you because you have done that. How much more the creator of heaven and earth? Do you think he can forget your labors and your ways of love to the saints? He can't. You cannot tell me that I have served God faithfully. And I think the reason why I'm poor is because I have served God faithfully. You have a problem. You cannot serve God faithfully and be poor. You cannot serve God faithfully and lack any good thing. He says you shall serve the Lord your God and he shall bless your bread and water. And it takes sickness from the midst of thee. And none of your young ones, he says, shall cast off. None shall be barren. He says, and the number of your days he shall fulfill. Why? Because you are a servant of the Lord. There's a way I cannot die because I'm a servant of the Lord. There's a way I cannot cast off my young one because I'm a servant of the Lord. There's a way I cannot be barren, physical or spiritual, because I'm a servant of God. There's a way my bread and water is blessed because I am a seeker of God. He says, I was young and now I'm old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor their seed begging bread. God cannot look at your seed and see it begging bread. Our children will never beg bread. Our children will never be survivors in the world of men. No, why? Because we are seeking and serving God. My child can never need tomorrow. Why? Because I'm a servant of the most, unless I'm serving something else or somebody else. But if I'm serving, if I'm living, if I walk in the fear of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this Bible has given us testimony upon testimony. To overcome any threat or fear that we can be just survivors in this world. Uh-uh. We shall not be survivors. He says you shall be the head and not the tail. You shall be above and not beneath. The path of the just shines brighter and brighter and to a perfect day. All of these promises are there to mean no man can serve God and be poor. No man can serve God and lack. It's not possible. You are walking in the fear of the Lord. And month by month by month, you're looking for rent. How? It's not possible. It's not possible. Examine yourself in the heart that seeks God. Examine yourself in the way that seeks God. If you do, you will see that you were not made to lack. 
any good thing. I said, any good thing. I said, any good thing. Somebody shout hallelujah. The fifth, and this is most important, I want to emphasize on it. If you walk in the fear of God, he will establish you deeply in the realm of wisdom, in the realm of knowledge and revelation. In the realm of wisdom, in the realm of knowledge and revelation. The Bible says, in Proverbs chapter 1, the seventh verse, he says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of knowledge. In other words, it doesn't matter how many things you claim to read in the Bible. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you have of head. It doesn't matter how many verses you can recite. It doesn't matter how easily you can connect these verses to make sense in the reasonings of men. He says that if you're talking about the knowledge of God as it is defined by the word in truth, he says the beginning of that knowledge has a precedence of the fear of the Lord. When you learn to fear God, the beginning of knowledge comes. The Bible says somewhere in Proverbs 2, uh, the fifth verse, it says, then thou shall understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Wow. You shall understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of the Lord. Oh, you know, pastor, I read the Bible, but I don't understand it. Because what you're reading for, you don't take God serious. You have not understood the sacredness of relating with God intimately. You don't have a certain hour for his word. You don't have a certain attention for his glory and word. You cannot be seriously hungry for God and you don't understand the word. It's not possible. He wills that all men be saved, comma, and that they might come to the knowledge of the truth. First Timothy 2.4. God wants you to know him more than you want to know him. But he says, this is the way of the spirit. When you understand the fear of the Lord, when you understand your responsibility eternally, when you understand the discipline of yourself into his wisdom, the taking seriously of the things concerning God, he says, you will find the knowledge of God. It's not possible to be indifferent in the knowledge of God when you are a seeker. And so I said, you must examine the heart that seeks God. Maybe you're still in the realm of pleasure. Because again, like I said, pleasure can be godly and can be ungodly. And sometimes when we're in the realm of godly pleasure, we think that that's the realm where only we can walk in the purity of the spirit. But God says that even to the end of that pleasure, I operate in higher realms. So when the soul is growing, it can only respond to pleasure. Oh, I am praying because I enjoyed the presence. God came and I felt well. Also, if you pray sometimes and you don't feel the presence and the pleasure of prayer is not available, what happens? Oh, pray for me, pastor. These days I don't feel like praying. These days I feel like the energy to pray is not available because they're still in the realm of pleasure. So it's not that godly pleasure is bad. Uh -uh. It's good because it helps in that transition. I'll give an example. If somebody's dealing with a problem, with an addiction, for example, you cannot deliver a man in demonic oppression or particular addiction without introducing something that can give him a pleasure higher than the pleasure that he's dealing with, okay? If somebody has a drinking problem, you know, they're a drunkard, you cannot get them out of that spiritually except you introduce a higher pleasure that will substitute the place that alcohol has. So it's important for us to get into the pleasures of the spirit, the ecstasies of the spirit. There are healthy waves in the spirit realm. But we're talking about a place where a man can get to a point where they're no longer doing a thing, not because they have been introduced into a higher pleasure, but deeper than that, that they have understood a love that is higher than any pleasure. He says, we shall remember your love more than wine. You understand? So there's a realm higher than pleasure. And that's the realm of love. And we're not talking about a love which you have to feel. 
we're talking about a love that shares only the testimony of the experience of the spiritual man. And when that man is in that revelation, it doesn't matter what the physical man feels in the body. You will feel a certain necessity and grace that invites you into that realm. Even without pleasure, you'll find yourself serving. Even without pleasure, you'll find yourself praying. Even without pleasure, you'll find yourself submitted and yielded to the ways and will of the Spirit. But again, like I said, it's a maturation of the soul. For a soul to grow past the satisfaction of the pleasure that comes, even though that pleasure is available in the gospel, for the satisfaction that comes out of the pleasure of the gospel into a deeper revelation of the love of God that passes all human understanding because pleasure is in the realm of understanding. This love goes beyond. It's beyond how you feel. It's the thing that sits in Paul and is beaten for the same thing and tomorrow he goes preaching the same thing that was beaten for. That if you're looking for pleasure, at that point it's not there. But it's defined in the love that invites him into the spaces of service. He says, whether life or death, whether things present or things to come, nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is revealed in Christ Jesus. It's the fullness of that love when you understand it, its width, its breadth, its depth, its height. It's the fullness of that love that takes you to the fullness of God in you. That you might become a body wholly filled and flooded with God himself. It's the revelation of that love. It's the revelation of that love. So the mature don't respond to God based on what is pleasurable, even though it's godly in the spirit to do. The mature in God respond to love. We love God a certain way that we don't need a feeling to serve him. We don't need a feeling to pray to him. We don't need a feeling to read his word. No, we are past feeling because the spirit has been elevated into realms higher than anything the soul could ever feel or the body could ever respond to. And I'm not saying that the experiences of the body and the soul are not important. No, they are important and unique depending on where the man is with God. But there are places that are beyond that that are so totally consummated to the will of God that they no longer care what they feel, but that they must serve God at every situation. They must pray in and out of season. They must preach in and out of season. Well, the season is the pleasure of it. The out of season is the absence of that pleasure. But yet still, he says, necessity is laid upon me. Like I said, a person who just got born again two weeks ago might not understand what I'm saying. You need this work of consecration in God to understand what I'm talking about. So I'm emphasizing that, like I was reading Proverbs 2 4, when we understand the fear of God, we get into the knowledge of God. In Proverbs, the first chapter, again, if I'll go back to the 28th verse, if you'll read with me from the Amplified Bible. Now, this is wisdom speaking. And wisdom says, and then they will call upon me wisdom, but I will not answer. They will seek me early and diligently. The Bible says, but they will not find me. And it says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord because it's a choice to fear God. And so because they did not have the fear of God, they hate knowledge. They could not seek wisdom with diligence. And the next verse says, they would accept none of my counsel and they despised all my reproof. Therefore, shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices for the backsliding of the simple shall slay them and the careless ease of self-confident fools shall destroy them. That's just the way wisdom speaks. Why isn't wisdom connected to men? Why can't wisdom communicate to certain individuals? The Bible says it's because the fear of God is not in them. And the backsliding of the simple, the Bible says, comes upon them. In other words, the backsliding of people like who are not born again. You know, when somebody's a babe in Christ, it's easy for them to fall into something. You understand? But as you grow in God, certain things are planted in you. And again, we're all a work in progress. 
you're not what you were five years ago. If perhaps somebody met the version of you five years ago, they would not even want to talk to you. You see what I'm saying? But you can testify that every day as I walk with God, I'm becoming better and better and better. And there comes a certain level in our faith and in our walk with God where even if you were to backslide, there are certain things in which you cannot backslide. You see what I'm saying? It's like you cannot walk with God for 10, 15 years and then a boy breaks your heart and you end up going to club to take a drink. How? <laughs> Unless you don't understand who you are. You see? Because see, you had your club days, 15. Yeah, if somebody's a babe, I would understand that. You know, they were just born again two weeks, two years ago, one year, maybe six months ago. And then, you know, somebody broke their heart and they went back drinking. Yeah. But you've walked with God three years, especially three years and more. Because scripturally, if a man has walked with God at least for three years, that man has attained a certain language. That man has a basic definition of his identity in God. And that man knows how to design the basic themes of the spirit. You remember the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? He says they were given different names, the Bible says, and they were given the king's food, and they were taught the Chaldean language. And he says in three years, they shall be able to stand before the king. At least three years are basic enough. You've walked with God for three years now, fourth year, and a, a woman can break your heart and say, you know what? I don't know. I haven't thought to myself, what's the essence of salvation? What's the point of being born again? You know what, Apostle? I just found myself in a club. I just sat there and I drank myself out because I was heartbroken. What? No, that's okay for somebody who got born again two months ago. One year. Two years we can understand at most three. But past the threshold of three years, uh-uh. Uh-uh. Brother, there's something in you that did not understand God. If you sat under the right teaching, there's something in you that did not understand God. The fear of God should tell you, look, even though I messed up, there are places I cannot go at this level. You understand what I'm saying? Because remember, everyone is at their own level. But at least if you've walked with God a certain way, it's like you can't expect me now at this level to be so disappointed by somebody in the church. And then tomorrow the newspapers read, Apostle Grace denounces Jesus. <laughs> See, it cannot happen. Why? Because I've seen too much that he would kill me before I do it. He can't even allow me. Me. I can't speak for anyone. But I know too much to be alive to denounce him. Do you see what I'm saying? But here he's saying because they ignored, because they connected not unto the way of wisdom, they have given into the backslidings of the simple. Things common people fall into. He says they have fallen into. They have gone into. And that is why the Bible says that the secret things of the Lord are to them that fear Him. The secret things of God are to them that fear Him. If you say, oh, I want to launch deeper into the ways of the Spirit. I want to connect to God deeply than ever before. You know, Psalms 25, uh, verses 14. If you read the Amplified Version, it says, the secret of the sweet, satisfying companionship of the Lord have they who fear or revere and worship Him. And the Bible says, and he will show them his covenant and reveal to them its deep inner meaning. He will reveal to them the depth, the inner meaning of the things concerning his covenant. Why? Because they fear him. When you go to God with a certain heart, he will not withhold anything from you. So, she so say, oh, I want the spirit of revelation. You think he's just going to come and sit on you because you've asked? No. There are principles that precede our connection to the spirit of revelation. There are principles that allow us to access the deeper and inner things of the spirit. And he says it is the fear of the Lord. If you find a man who can demystify the depth of the spirit, whether you want it or not, there's a place where that man or woman has been in their worship and fellowship with the Father. You cannot cast pearl to swine. See? The Bible says, at least they trample on it. And after that, tear you up. Things in the Spirit are accessible to us only as our heart is yielded in the readiness to take responsibility of eternal truths. Because to whom much is given, much is required. 
But there's a preparing of the spirit. The Bible says he prepares the heart of the humble. He prepares the heart of the humble. He instructs it. He directs it. He teaches it. He prepares the heart of the humble. When you learn the humility of the spirit, because one of the things that really stirs us into the fear of the Lord is the humility of the spirit. If you understand what it means to be humble before God, your heart is prepared. It keepeth the instruction of the spirit. God instructs your heart in a way and prepares it for success. It prepares it for greatness. It prepares it for glory. It's just the way of the Spirit. It's just the way of the Spirit. So when I emphasize the fear of the Lord, these five things that I just mentioned, they are so that you will know exactly what to seek for in God. What to really ask for in God. So there's a man who is walking in luck. There's a man who is indifferent to the ways and patterns of the Holy Spirit. There's a man who is living a sinful life and is struggling every day, every night to walk out of sin. There's a man who has failed to interpret divine purpose. And all of these things are happening. But really, their real prayer should be, I want to walk in the fear of God. If only I will connect to the fear of God. If only I will relate to the fear of God, then all shall be well with me. This is the prayer you should have. Or perhaps it's a place where every man must examine themselves. Every man must search themselves to say, Lord, what are these parts in me that are really not totally yielded to you? Because I see the evidence in the things that I lack. I see the evidence in the things that I struggle with, in the tendencies of my addictions and my communications. I see it in the way my destiny is aligned. I see it in the things that are preserved and the things that are lost and I feel that there's something in me that is not really connected well. Well, ask that you come to the understanding, the true understanding of fear in Him. Not scared of Him, but to revive Him. To take the things of God seriously to treat as sacred anything and everything that touches him, to understand eternal responsibility and accountability to the will of the Spirit, to submit to the discipline of his wisdom. And you will see that many of these things will start falling in line for you. You will find yourself when you truly find him. I want you to raise your voice right now and speak to God. Come on, just speak in tongues. In the secret, in the quiet place, in the stillness you were there. The secret, the quiet hour away. Only for you, cause I want to know you more. I want to know you, I want to hear your voice, I want to know you more. I want to touch you, yeah. I want to see your face. I want to know you more. I am reaching. Come on, speak to God. That I might receive the prize. Receive the Come on, speaking out of tongues. Pressing on words, pushing every exercise. Cause I want to know you more. I want to know you, yeah.
Shabroso Boko Shikata Brakatelele Busta. I want to search you, yeah. Share Brosalamando Robro Shakataraba. Reketere Brosalamando Robro Salalaba. This is my heart's prayer for you, as it is for me. There is no greater place in God like knowing Him, like serving Him, like living for Him, like walking in His fear. So my prayer for you is that may we come to the full understanding of the fear of the Lord. And I know that not a language or words that I've spoken, my abilities to speak suffices for the conviction that I feel in my heart or even God is revealing to us this day. But that in that simplicity, may He give you a language beyond what I've spoken. May He give you a conviction beyond what I could articulate. May He move you beyond what I am able to speak to you. That you will walk in the fear the reverent fear and worship of God. And I believe in the mighty name of Jesus that you will not lack any good thing. That your destiny will be interpreted. That your soul will be preserved in the mighty name of Jesus. That we will walk out of any sin or any bondage or any addiction out of evil in the mighty name of Jesus. And that you will be established in the realm of wisdom, of knowledge, of understanding of his revelation in Jesus' mighty name. I pray for the sick that you'll be healed right now. For the bound that you'll be set free in the mighty name of Jesus. For whatever is troubling you, I decree it to cease right now in Jesus' mighty name. We have prayed and believed. And all sense said, Amen. If you're there and you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You just say this word. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and was raised for my glory. And tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Born again. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.funero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Finero, make manifest.